because they're not holding inventory, it can be tough to pick up on trends quickly. Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Global from Asia, episode 150, 150 shows, guys. Let's give it up and uh, hope you guys are enjoying. So just recovering, catching up a lot of rest. We had an action-packed Friday for the Global from Asia cross-border trip. We had the Hong Kong e-commerce into mainland China themed event. And we had a couple of cross-border vans head on over to Hong Kong from Shenzhen. And then and a total of about 20 people throughout the day with four amazing speakers. We saw a logistics company, Flowship, in the morning. Got some Korean barbecue in the lunchtime. Afternoon, we had four amazing speakers. And then in the evening, we wrapped it up with a live podcast recording and some fun networking. So thank you to all the speakers and attendees for making a great success. We already have another one scheduled for January 13th, 2017. We're going to go to the Shanghai Free Trade Zone. A lot of people have been asking to go go there. They missed the July one. So you can check that out at globalfromasia.com slash QHtrip. And also over this weekend, I just signed up my son for his nursery school. First time heading out to school. He's two and a half years old now. And it's time is just flying. It couldn't, I feel like he was just uh, being born on this podcast, uh, talk about it on a podcast. But there is a child daycare nearby. And we had Sunday practice class where I had to go there and kind of watch him. And he's a little bit wild, not really listening to the teachers and kind of breaking rules. I uh, couldn't help but chuckle a little bit. Plus, you know, a lot of the Chinese kids uh, were a little bit more following the rules and a little bit shy. And I don't know, I'm happy he's he's kind of running around and and uh, being creative. So let's see. Let's see if they keep that up or doesn't get. Anyway, we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. And now for this week's show, we have Oscar Barberin and he is Amazonian, ex-Amazonian, and he has his own firm, and he's doing F2C, helping a lot of factories get on Amazon and getting distribution going, factory consumers, what F2C is, and he and his firm have been working with factories for a while now, and uh, we're going to talk about that. Also, thanks, a shout out to Sean Morris. He also attended the Hong Kong trip this past Friday, and he was the one that connected us. He's also working at the firm, and uh, we had a fascinating talk at the Friday event and also with Oscar. And so thank you guys for CathayPhoenix.com. And we'll just dig in. If you guys want any of the show notes, we talk about a few different terms and websites, go to globalfromasia.com slash episode 150. Okay, now let's just dive in. Okay, thank you everybody for tuning in to another Global From Asia podcast. We have with us Oscar Barberin from over in Seattle. Thanks for thanks for recording the interview. How you doing, Oscar? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Definitely appreciate the time, and I love listening to your cast and just listening to the EU VAT cast. So that I'm sure I'm going to have my guys listen to that as well to help us with any issues we may have. So awesome, awesome. Yeah, I mean, we're that's what we're trying to do here is you know help people do global businesses and uh, these all these different complications of going international is, uh, you know, it's giving opportunity, but of course adding a lot of complexities and that's kind of what we're going to talk about with, with our talk today, but maybe first can introduce yourself quickly to our listeners. 
Absolutely. So my name is Oscar Barbarin. Uh, I'm the CEO of Cathay Phoenix. Uh, we're a 13-person firm. We're headquartered in Seattle, Washington. And basically, you know, my team is based of mostly ex-Amazonians with about, you know, we usually, we have about 15 to 20 years of experience amongst ourselves. And, uh, you know, I was a senior vendor manager at Amazon after I left business school at the University of Chicago. And I launched uh, the health and personal care and then the personal care appliances businesses for Amazon Canada. I uh, did that for about 20 months. And then I left and uh, started Cathay Phoenix, where we act as one half of us acts as a a distributor to Canada, to Amazon. So we sell product in Amazon Canada, US, Mexico, UK, and EU. And then the other half is where we consult and we call it FMR, uh, which stands for FBA, Management and Representation, where we help domestic and foreign brand uh, owners and manufacturers. We do their day-to-day running of their Amazon uh, FBA and their Amazon retail businesses. Um, So basically, they ship it. And then we do everything else. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about my organization and, and what we do. Very, very, very cool. Yeah, I mean, so today today's topic, I think, is pretty fascinating and I'm excited to hear about it. Um, I don't know if you've heard, you, you always there's so many acronyms in, in this world, I guess, every industry. But you just mentioned a new one. I took no FMR, which is a new <laughs> one for me. Then there's F2C or M2C. I don't know. If, it's yeah. something I've been using and I've been noticing more people searching it on Google and is it becoming a thing? Is that, or maybe what, what do you think? Of- yeah. So I think, um, you know, I think it's a novel idea and I, I, I like, so FMR I made up, um, but you know, okay. FMR, um, you know, I think is, uh, is a great way of encapsulating what we're starting to see, uh, from these, uh, manufacturers. You know, I think when you think about the history and the background, you know, I think it, a lot of it really kind of started many years ago uh, when you think about Nike allowing people to, you know, customize things and have products sent to them. And and then even some of the big box stores with like Costco, where you're getting kind of these many, like almost wholesale quantity products and reducing kind of that effort that the manufacturers produce. I think those were the initial steps many, many years ago. But with the emergence of e-commerce and the ability for a consumer to get a product sent directly to their house and not really matter not there's not a huge emphasis on where it came from uh, as long as it was the product that they ordered I think we've started to now see especially uh, Chinese and Taiwanese uh, manufacturers leverage the power of that e-commerce platform that allows for them to not need a physical relocate physical location in the United States but still be able to provide their product. And so we've seen the emergence. There's still some major gaps that exist. And, you know, the funny thing that we've seen personally and uh, from the interactions we've had with our clients is that initially it's been the trading companies. So not necessarily even the manufacturers, but the trading companies who have been most eager to get involved. And then the larger manufacturers have been a little bit more cautious about getting, uh, getting involved, but now they're starting to come and participate. And, you know, I think the other thing that you see is that owners of these businesses are becoming a lot more savvy about what tools are available and what is that path to the end consumer. Uh, And then I think the last thing in terms of the background of this F2C or M2C is Amazon really throwing its weight behind it. So, you know, they have 80 plus people in China on the ground meeting with factories and asking them to join Amazon. They've recently leased a fleet of jets. So Amazon's uh, leased a fleet of jets and they call it Prime Air. And the whole intent is to be able to pick up freight in China, air freight it to United States and take it directly to through customs and then directly to their uh, fulfillment centers. And Amazon's really been on, on an international kick. 
uh, I'd say the last three years. You know, they're really focusing heavily on the new markets and getting their physical infrastructure into these new countries. And so, you know, I think Amazon's put its weight behind it. I think that the owners have started to see the the tools that are available. And then I think the last thing is that selling direct from the manufacturer to the consumer really aligns itself well with Amazon's uh, core principles. And and basically, Amazon has this idea called the virtuous cycle. And the basis of that idea was that as long as they went on pricing, selection, and convenience, then they will forever win. And selection, they want the world's largest selection, and they get that uh, through direct to you know direct relationships with manufacturers as well as the other brands that they bring on convenience they're taking care of with their infrastructure of you know having over 150 fulfillment centers across the United States um, and just building more or across the world and then building many many more f- uh, fulfillment centers to reduce that amount of time from when a product gets to you know from the order to when it gets to the consumer but then the last thing is pricing and when a manufacturer is selling direct it's really hard for anybody else to compete on pricing. And so Amazon wants to foster that direct relationship because they believe they can get the pricing with that directly relationship with the manufacturer and then the selection, and then they'll take care of the convenience. So it's emerging. It's new. I would say, you know, it's over, over the last couple of years, it started to come on, you know, become more a part of what's happening daily on Amazon. But I think we've seen a lot of weight from Amazon behind it. So that's kind of a little bit about the background. of FTC. Very cool. Yeah, um, just back to the base. Yeah, really in depth. I think just so listeners know, I don't think I either of us really outline it. But F to C or M to C is basically I, well, everybody here is B to C or B to B. But I think F or I don't know if people have decided F is factory, M is manufacturer to consumer or customer. Just so people make sure they didn't miss that one. But this is really great insights. And then you were mentioning about the trading companies being more yeah. open. I. Th- I think that makes sense because their jobs is really to do the marketing and just, you know, distribution for the factories. Uh, A lot of times factories don't even have English speaking people in their, at least in China, they kind of almost use outsource their sales to a trading company. So it kind of makes sense. Like in my own experiences to, to see, see that path happening. Um, Plus I, trading companies usually are more open to having inventory. A lot of times people think factories have all this stock People think they can come to China and they're going to see these warehouses of goods, just buy a couple boxes. Uh, yep. And uh, But yeah, usually factories don't want to take inventory. They they take the order and then they buy the material, make the product and ship out almost all of it. They don't hold stock. So I think that's something else maybe that factories have to get used to is to go on to something like Amazon. They have to be willing to finance the inventory themselves. So. And- the stock point is is huge, um, you know, and that's one of the major sticking points that we've seen uh, with some of our clients, especially manufacturers. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I did have that assumption when I first my first trip to China. I thought I'd see, you know, shelves and shelves and shelves of product that you could just go and pull and sell. And as you said, that's not you know they wait to produ- produce until they get that first you know maybe that 50% upfront or whatever percentage fee. And then, you know, then they'll do the run. And that's one of the issues that we've seen, you know, I think as this has evolved. So, yeah, it's really, it's really cool. I also thought that like, while I'm still here, I, I have my first trip still can remember way back, uh, Oh seven, and uh, I was expecting the same thing. Like, oh, I was getting frustrated off Alibaba and stuff selling online. And I was like, I'll just go here and, you know, they're all down the road. I'll have like my office and I'll need to buy something. I'll just, I mean, I guess that kind of is possible in these markets or these wholesale markets, but 
you know, you're not going to get your own kind of custom products and stuff like that. And exactly. it's always different trade-offs. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, I think, you know, with that, I think the fulfillment solution from Amazon's kind of changed the dynamics, you know, of, of this market, you know, and this, this from the B to C to, you know, F to C and, and then there's huge, you know, huge financial gains for the manufacturers too. If they, if they can figure out how to go direct and, and leverage tools that exist to go direct, you know, they can see, you know, a 200, more than a 200% increase in profit margin because usually, you know, that wholesale price is about a third of the retail price. And so, you know, they get whatever margin they were getting under the wholesale plus, you know, and because they're selling direct to the consumer, they can sell at the retail price, you know, so now they're getting whatever they were getting under the wholesale price plus two times the wholesale price. And that's compelling uh, to anybody, but it's still, you know, that inventory position still a major sticking point with these guys. Yeah. Still, still even today. Right. I mean, they're just, I guess it's, it is, it seems pretty nice actually when, I, tr- I never really thought of myself as being a factory owner, but you know, they, of course they make less profit, but they take less risk. They wait for the buyer, you know, the, say the, uh, F- Amazon seller or distributor to give them a the 30% deposit and then they, uh, buy the materials. Sometimes they'll even hire the workers, depending <laughs> on the size of the factory or at least get some temp workers or have their own staff. But, and then, yeah, then they get paid the last usually 70% and then ship it. So they have their, their margins, they're paid, they're done. But now if they want to do these, uh, F to C, they have to pay for that material and labor and yeah. shipping up, up front and, and get, of course, higher margins, but would have to wait a little bit longer. Totally. Yeah. So, um, you know, basically as we're saying, um, you know, they don't have these huge lots of inventory and, and what we've done with our clients, uh, is that we've recommended, that they start uh, with a small batch, small number of units, and usually it's kind of the tail end of an existing run that they had. And then it's you know three or four units. We ask them box up, ship it over to Amazon just to get started to start to see how the market's responding to their products. And then from there, the momentum builds up. Um, you know, if we do our job and the products of a certain quality, then they can uh, you know basically momentum picks up and it becomes this juggernaut that becomes uncontrollable. But it- First, it really does start with just a couple units, you know, that we send in and then we test, test the market. Uh, but, you know, it's got to usually be at the end of a existing production run because nobody's going to run a production cycle just to, uh, to do a test. It just doesn't make sense. So, yeah, makes sense. That's a good, that's a good tip for sure. I feel like you've, we've kind of mentioned this, but, uh, I'll make sure we cover it. The biggest challenges you see, I mean, yeah. is it the inventory or is there other things like maybe it's branding or marketing or there's a whole host. And so I think the way that I kind of clump them is, um, the first piece is around content marketing and branding. These manufacturers don't, don't really have a good sense of the local culture, be it North American or European. And so it affects their style of the brand. If they even have a brand it results into badly written instructions. It really, the images are off. The packaging's not ready for consumers. And so there's this, con- the content and the marketing and the branding are usually not where they need to be for a brand to succeed in a North American market or in a European market. So that's kind of the first major issue that we always face with our clients. The next major issue that we face is a lot of the owners are hesitant at first 
to compete against customers. And what's funny is, you know, we talk to them about, we start, we run through the profitability model with them and they're very excited because they see this, all this extra cash coming in for exactly the same work. But then we start talking about, well, Hey, you have existing customers. And then it gets a little murky there. And some, some people are, you know, they're like, Hey, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to go after this for, you know, the betterment of my business. Others say, you know, this is a, this is too big of a hurdle for me and I can't, I'm not going to basically compete against my customers. The next thing we see is speed of communication. You know, with our North American clients and our European clients, the speed of communication, the expectations around communicating with us is kind of, we have the same expectations with our, um, our, most of our Asian clients, it's a different speed. Sometimes it's way, they expect it way faster than what we expect, or sometimes it's way slower. And it's just, there's always a friction in the communication. And then I think one of the other pieces is uh, quality control. We've had some clients who've had some major quality issues and, uh, you know, I, I don't know how they handle it with their, with their clients, but when there's not somebody in between to kind of fix filter, there can be, you can have some major issues with products that um, just are not, you know, just aren't made very well. And then I think one of the last things is willingness to promote and discount. You know, I think when we're dealing with uh, brand owners or even, you know, domestic manufacturers, they understand the cadence of, of promotions. They understand um, what needs to happen in such a competitive market, uh, which is, you know, the United States market. And that takes a little bit more convincing and discussions with our other clients who are based in Asia. And then the expectations for what marketing will do. Those are sometimes not quite aligned with what reality is. And so those are kind of the biggest challenges that we've seen. You know, it's the branding content marketing piece. It's the competing against customers. It's the speed of communication. It's the quality control. And then, um, you know, willingness to promote. Yeah, and I think one last thing. Yeah, this sounds like sure, a very sure. it's great. Um, it's great. Is um, because they're not holding inventory, it can be tough to pick up on trends quickly, and so that's also a challenge. Because usually one or two products are the big sellers, and you know we they do a run. We have maybe fifteen products up. One or two are really good. The rest aren't doing that well, and then those one or two may take three months to come back into stock. And, you know, when you have something trending, that's an entire season. Uh, mm -hmm. and that's a problem too. So those are some of the biggest challenges. I think that our uh, Chinese and Ta Taiwanese and Singaporean and Australian, not so much our Australian clients, but basically the Singapore, Taiwan, Chinese clients. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is definitely interesting. I, I remember, I mean, I've been, you know, I've been in this space more as a, as a blogger and marketer here, but uh, I remember in 2012, for some reason it was like I was helping with the Chinese e-commerce association uh, and there was tons of Chinese sellers basically yeah. figuring out how to open up Delaware Corps or U.S. companies in order to get a FBA account because it wasn't allowed or able. I don't know if you remember oh, yeah. when this change happened because I don't remember what point. We've had some some other guests on the show talking about it, um, but I don't know exactly when it you said it's been a few years for this international expansion. So do you know the history a little bit or? Yeah, well, you know, I don't know if we can like pick a day and say this is the day it changed. But I know. So in 2013, I think some of the first inklings within Amazon started to be discussed amongst leadership around 2013. And as I was on the retail 
retail side. So we were sending purchase orders to manufacturers and buying product. And in 2013, we started getting a lot of pressure from our leadership to get containers straight from China. Uh, and Amazon started to build out a lot of capabilities to ensure that we could basically buy direct from any, from the manufacturers and ship directly from the manufacturers. So I think some of the groundwork started being laid in 2013. I really think, though, in 2014 is when I heard my buddies who worked in, F in the FBA, who worked in Fulfilled by, by Amazon, group of Amazon, really talk about Amazon trying to court Chinese sellers. So going out, having salespeople reach out to them, you know, having people go to the country and meet with manufacturers and try to figure out what logistics would look like. I really do think that, that most of that started to happen in 2014. Now, I do have to say as of late, and even, you know, this is as October, Amazon had started to crack down on Chinese sellers. You know, having a Hong Kong bank account helps a lot. And that I still would recommend that to anybody who's, uh, you know, who's trying to do who is a Chinese manufacturer, I'd say get a Hong Kong bank account because that's just going to make things easier for you. But Amazon has started to request for business licenses and utility bills and making sure that all of those are aligned. Um, the same company name, same pe people's name, same addresses. And Amazon started to run an algorithm on what they were suspecting may be counterfeit or, or just bogus offers. And um, some of our clients' products started to get pulled, even though it was totally legitimate, um, started to get pulled. And, you know, we we started to, we, we cut so many tickets to Amazon. We even uh, were contemplating doing a couple of Jeff Bezos escalations where you send an email to Jeff B because when you do <laughs> an Amazon, it pours, it rains. It is the worst thing ever um, in the organization. People stop everything to handle that. So we were, and having been in one of those, I know the terror that it is. And um, we even thought about, you know, doing that. Luckily, they seem to have figured it out, but it was pretty deep in their software because it took them a long time. It took them probably about four months because our, our clients' products go, go up and then they would come back down, go up and come back down. So they, there has been a little bit more kind of, I guess, vetting of uh, Chinese sellers lately, but it's definitely a lot better than it was, you know, two, three years ago. And one of our clients, he told us a story. I was, I just, I felt kind of bad for him. He literally took him about two years and like five trips to the United States to try to set up his FBA account. He tried to set up bank accounts in New York. It was just insane what this guy was going through to try to do this. And, you know, after he hired us and mind you, it was a couple of years later, but after he hired us, like literally in two weeks, we had everything set up and running. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I felt bad for him. He's a nice guy, great guy. He's a great partner and a great client. And it just shows how dedicated he was to making this work. But, you know, things have changed significantly from what they used to be. But, you know, for anybody who's doing it, do expect to be asked for business license, do expect to be asked for utility bills, you know, and cut many tickets. Uh, that's one thing I always just hammer them with tickets, hammer them with tickets um, until you get what you need. So makes sense. Yeah, I, I would I would second that. It's been getting tougher from what I've hearing as well. I mean, we interviewed uh, actually a Chinese seller uh, almost a, a couple of years ago now on the show, uh, and he was basically trying to tell everybody to open up, uh, you know, a Chinese seller account for the U.S. market, and that it's it was so easy. It didn't really mm. they just wanted Chinese sellers? So, yeah. but I think maybe now they have too. Maybe Amazon <laughs> has too many. Uh, it seems like there's too many now. There was Amazon seller conference. There's been a few actually, um, and they're just loaded now with oh, thousands yeah. of thousands of Chinese sellers. So oh, wow. it's been intense. And 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely changing. I mean, I've had some emotional comments sometimes on some of my um, some of my content uh, from like Western sellers. So, you know, what what do you see the oh. future? You know, I mean, there's actually uh, there's a lot of you know October was trade show season here, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of different people looking at the crystal ball. Is it going to be private label is dead? You know, with the, the review crackdown, and then the Chinese sellers yeah. on the other side, and then there's the yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, what are you thinking? So. Personally, I believe the role of a straight up white labeling, I'm just going to slap a brand on something, middleman is vanishing. I think, you know, in the days of brick and mortar, when you needed to fight for shelf space and run promotions and appease buyers um, to ensure that, you know, you were meeting that requisite dollar per square foot, you know, it was too much for manufacturers to manage that plus try to manage, you know, production. And, you know, this, this middle position bloomed. And, and I think there are a lot of people who took advantage of that uh, on the e-commerce space. I saw great profits and realized a lot of wealth uh, from that. But as e-commerce has started to develop in the United States, it's really become about you need to produce a product, you need to ship it, and you need to market it. And if you can do those three things, then you can be successful. And the marketing piece, you know, is is tough, you know, and is, is a lot of the ongoing work. But, you know, the switching and, you know, I think the other thing about e-commerce in the United States that's kind of all affecting the situation is that the switching cost for a consumer in an e-commerce world is almost zero dollars. Right. They can switch to another site quickly. So price becomes ultra important and ultra competitive. And as a direct middleman, it's going to be hard for you to beat out a manufacturer in price. But with all that being said, I think there's a huge position, a huge place for individuals who've learned how to compete on an e-commerce platform in the United States, who've learned how to write copy to do this, who've learned how to market, who've learned how to drive traffic, and really kind of moving towards that kind of content producer, influencer, social media marketing type of role or activity where they're driving reviews, they're they're ensuring a good customer experience. You know, I think all of that, I think, is is uh, an important piece of kind of what's the future of, of um, manufacturers coming directly to, to consumers. And so I think there's a space for uh, listeners uh, to participate in that. Uh, and I also have some tips that I can go through in a little bit. But, you know, I think Ultimately, we're going to see faster iteration and innovation from from manufacturers because they're getting direct, they're getting closer to the consumer, and they get direct feedback from the consumer. And they can be they can be told, "Hey, I want the battery life of this product to be five hours instead of three hours. I want it to do this instead of that." And then they can start, you know, they can get that feedback right away and start to implement it into their innovation. So I think all in all, it's going to become lower price products that are more innovative and, and filling more specific needs. I do think that middleman position is going to vanish, but I think there's other activities, other roles and other things that are going to need to be done. And so maybe it's a transitioning of work uh, from just slapping a label on to saying, all right, we're going to do something something different. We're going to share in risk. We're going to share in profit, but we're also going to, I'm going to take on more of the cultural understanding, um, more of the driving of demand drive and, and marketing, and you're going to handle more of the production and shipping. That's kind of what I see kind of happening looking ahead. Okay, cool. Very exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting. You know, I know there's a lot of nervous people and, and things, uh, but yeah, there's, there's lots of 
things happening in the market for okay. everybody. So maybe maybe we can do getting towards the end here. I really appreciate you sharing so much and and uh, these perspectives. What what are some maybe with either clients or or you know cases you've you've seen maybe some positive kind of case studies? Totally. Yeah. So we had one uh, FM transmitter company, zero sales, no presence on Amazon when we first started. Five months later, uh, we have them about one hundred fifty thousand dollars a month. Uh, in sales, and it all some it all comes to what I call the pyramid, and, and something we talk about in, within Amazon, and it's basically the base of the pyramid is content. You need to have good content, good images, good written bullet points, good descriptions, good titles. Um, we do something at Cafe Phoenix called B plus content. Amazon has something called A plus content. We have a slightly not as good version that we call B plus content, uh, <laughs> but it's better than you know, your basic bullet points um, to solicit reviews. Once you have the content, the base of that pyramid set, then you can go to pricing and it's about getting the right pricing, making sure that you're competitive and profitable, uh, but making sure that you have a good price. If you have those two things checked off, then the last thing is promotion and really driving traffic, driving eyes. Because the last thing you want to do is spend a bunch of money to drive people to a detail page and your price is wrong or there's not the right information. So the, the consumer can't make a purchasing decision. And so really it's content, price, than marketing. And we were able to do that with, with that client because, you know, they listened to us, uh, they invested and, you know, luckily their products uh, maintained a minimum amount of quality. So we weren't getting a bunch of returns and negative reviews on the product. Got it. Very. Yeah. That sounds like great. And I think let's, let's do the other side now. What, what are some maybe learning? I mean, you mentioned even in the, in the, in the, in, during our talk, some of the more challenging times or what either factories aren't aren't willing to do. Um, do you have like a story you want to share or? Yeah. You know, we had this one company. I like the guy who was, he was a young guy, scrapper, you know, scrappy guy. And I appreciated his hustle. And he had a Bluetooth headset company. It was a trading company in Shenzhen. And okay. uh, his just Maybe I know design. You know, his designs were great, you know, and, and where he sourced from was great. But, and we created the content. So that part was, was good. Uh, but his quality control, he just couldn't get his quality control under underhand. And literally, one of our reviewers got electrocuted by his head, by his head. Oh, um, man. So that's always a bad review. Um, you know, so, you know, his uh, his return rate started to get into double digits. And, you know, basically, you know, you got a one percent, two percent return rate. OK, who cares? No bad. Not that bad. You start creeping to 5%. Okay, now now there could be some issues because, you know, you start thinking about the reviews that, that 5% of your reviews are going to be bad. Once you get into double digits, it's a losing battle. And so, you know, we got into double digit uh, quality control problems and he wasn't able to control his branding on his packaging either because he was, you know, sourcing from so many different manufacturers. And that was also a problem because you can't, you know, basically have a brand on the website and then the box comes in with a different... Mm-hmm. And so ultimately we had to fire him because it just – the quality was a problem and then he wasn't able to fix the, the branding Crazy. product. And you know, we told him, hey, you know, like fix these two things and we'll, we'll be more than happy to work with you. Um, and, he, you know, it was amicable, you know, the way that we parted ways. But, you know, it kind of – you know, simple things. But, you know, those are the things that sometimes, you know, really kill you. Yeah, Bluetooth is a tricky one. I have so many broken Bluetooth things. I don't know. Uh, honestly, actually <laughs> – my wife just ordered me another Bluetooth headset because I'm a podcast <laughs> listener, so I, I like yeah. them. But they seem to just—I don't know if it's a technology or what—but they're they're a tricky product. 
luckily the reviewer was a friend of mine, so it was a little comical, oh. but you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crazy. All right. Well, this is fun, Oscar. Thank, thanks so much, especially, uh, you know, with the time zone differences. Um, so how can people find out more about your, your service and, and reach out web, social? Yep. So they, uh, you know, we're actually not that active on social, kind of undercover. They can send a mail to, uh, to Oscar at Cathay Phoenix. So it's Cathay, like the uh, airline company. And then conversation, um, you know, we'll spend 30 minutes with anybody. And at, at worst, you can, uh, you know, at least you'll get some tips and tricks from behind the scenes. And then uh, if somebody mentions the podcast, we'll do a free analysis of five detail pages, Amazon, de- uh, Amazon detail pages for them to tell them what we see that needs to be fixed and okay, uh, how they can probably improve conversion a little bit. Okay, great. And yeah, we'll, we'll put the, we'll put your website on the show notes too. So people could, could find it. Cool. And Mike, I do have three tips I want to Yeah, do. definitely. The three tips that I really want to leave people with is one, if you're selling an FBA account, get a retail account. Um, and you can do that through Vendor Express yourself, or you can try to find a, a vendor manager. But it gets you access. That's when Amazon sends you purchase orders, and that's whatever. But what's more important is access to certain programs like deals or CSLDs and data. You want to also match that with your FBA account, FBA account because then you control price, you control inventory, and you get paid faster uh, with your FBA, and you can manage with MWS. So, so tip number one is get both a retail and an FBA account and use both offers to maximize your uh, power on the platform. And then I think the number two thing that I kind of see is – Working closer with uh, your manufacturers. And so um, look for ways to share in cost and profit. Take more of the content work uh, on and put more shipping and production work on them. And then I would say, you know, look to act as a partner with them. I think that will be a way to survive, you know, this onslaught of new um, sellers. You have to make sure that you have some compelling, economically compelling incentives for them. And it's more than just paying them. It's it's about offering services to them. So if you're working with a manufacturer right now, see if you can trade off some of the risk with them, but also trade off some of the profit so that they're a little bit more invested with you. And then you can also reduce your risk as well. I think it could be a win-win for people. I think people can find a win-win that way. And then I'd say the last tip is Check out the Amazon Dot. It's Amazon's small version of Alexa or Echo. It's a small version of Echo. Check out their detail page and replicate it. It's the best in class. It's exactly what you want your detail pages to look like. They've done everything right. And if you want to just example of what it should look like, what your details pages should look like, go to that and just mimic it. Awesome. Really great. Thank you so much, Oscar. Those are great tips. And uh, I'm sure you're going to help people a lot. And uh, enjoy into the rest of your day. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate the time and I look forward to hearing from anybody and, and I'll continue to listen to the podcast as well. So Awesome. Great. All right. Take Happy care. Here. All right. Cheers. Bye. Thank you so much, Oscar. Talking F2C, factory consumer or M2C, manufacturer to consumer, whichever you prefer. I don't think there's a difference right now. And also take up Oscar's offer. Check out some of your listings and uh, get some of his expertise from him and his firm. The domain name, um, we had a little bit of technical issues during the interview. I hope you guys got it. But in case you didn't, it's www.cathayphoenix.com. That is C-A-T-H-A-Y-F-E-N-I-X.com. So you can just head on over there and check it out and uh, tell them Global Information sent you and they'll hook you up. And also you can just check out the show notes for their site and more at globalfromasia.com slash episode 150. Hope you guys are enjoying these 
shows and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Thanksgiving is here. Turkeys. I'm going to try to get a turkey, uh, head over to my buddy Jamin's place on Thursday in a couple of days to uh, grab some turkey. I got to bring cookies or some potluck. Hope, uh, hope everything is great. And then you guys all have a great Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Get some great deals. And I hope business owners and sellers out there rake in the cash. Can you believe 2016 is almost over? I mean, it's amazing. Life is just going so fast. Let's make the most of it. We got like five weeks left in the year. And I'm already thinking about 2017. Thinking about what to do with the podcast, how to make things better. Cross-Border Summit 2017 in April. Putting a lot into that already. Getting some great speakers together already confirmed and uh, things are going to be fun there. So I, you know, the show and everything else couldn't be anything without you guys listening. So if you made it all the way to the end of this show, let me know. What do you guys think? Mike at GlobalFromAsia.com and uh, hit me up online. Take care. Enjoy your week and gobble, gobble. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.